Good morning. Good morning. Grace and peace to you. <clears throat> Do want to encourage all to come back tonight, y'all. All y'all. Uh, for some of you who are not have not even met Jerry and maybe not much familiar with our work in Ukraine, which has been going on since the '90s. And uh, be a great opportunity for you to learn about that and understand uh, our support of Brother Slava over there and his family. And of course, for those of you who know Jerry and have been with us for a while, and just to reacquaint, I know he's going to have a presentation tonight with pictures uh, we'll have on the big screen and uh, maybe some video, I'm not sure. And uh, so it's going to be uh, very enlightening again. And uh, Refresh our minds about the spread of the gospel in Nipro, Ukraine. Also for the brothers, please keep in mind about next Saturday. Uh, again, uh, we know the forecast is cold. I don't know when that's going to come, and we don't know how much or if. Or, But uh, if it's too cold, we might have to postpone that. But please have it in your mind. We'll come out and get together. And, you know, we guys, we can handle it, right? Yeah, amen? Okay. <laughs> All right. We're going to talk about two Adams this morning. The first Adam and the last. And we're going to start in Revelation 21. And actually we're going to talk about the two Adams' wives. Mike. We're going to talk about Adams and their wives. So... <laughs> Uh, enough said. All right. We, we all get there sometimes. Revelation 21, verse 9. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me saying, Come here. I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her brilliance was like a very costly stone, as a stone of crystal clear jasper. And we go on there for several verses, and there's a description of the holy city, New Jerusalem, as it's said there in verse 2, the New Jerusalem. You know, we... Uh, Sometimes don't do our Bible interpretation very carefully. And, uh, you know, we start to think that this is a city in which we're going to live. But it's not, is it? This is a description of the wife of the Lamb. Okay? That's what this is. It's a description of the residence of the city. The bride, her beauty, her perfection, her strength. That's what this is. Because the angel said so, right? That's what the angel said. I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And we get into Revelation, even in other uh, books of prophecy in the Old Testament, you have to be careful with the symbolism and the imagery. 
And whenever we're told something, you have to say, oh, we've got to accept it, even though it's given in other terms, physical terms, we have to understand what's being talked about. We understand this language in Luke 13. Jesus there, if you remember, is lamenting Jerusalem. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those sent to her. Now, a city never killed any prophets. It's the residents of the city that killed prophets. Okay? And we hear this all the time with politicians, uh, entertainers when they're on one of their tours and they get up in the front and they say, Hello, Cleveland, how you doing, right? Hello, Shadyside. You know, they're talking to the people. They're not talking to the streets and the buildings and the bridges, right? So we understand this kind of language. And we're going to talk about these two Adams and the, these two brides. And, you know, you think about this. Uh, why does the angel use this description? And why is this shown here at the very end of Scripture? Why does he say, I want to show you the Lamb's wife? Did he just pull that out of thin air? Do you know that this is the last reference in Scripture to the ecclesia, the church, the body of Christ, is the bride, the wife of the Lamb? It's the last reference in Scripture to us, the church. As we work through this lesson, what we, one of the main things that you're going to learn, and I want us to learn, is not so much the details, although there's a lot of beautiful details here, is the fact that God had a plan. God had a plan from the beginning. He knew what he was doing. Uh, he was not, uh, what shall we say, uh, sidetracked. There were no accidents, no backpedaling when man sinned. Okay, he had this all planned out from the beginning, starting out with the physical creation, making man in his image, and moving on to this spiritual recreation. And when we're told that we are to become like Christ, conformed to the image of Christ Jesus there in Romans 8. This was always God's plan. And we're going to see how how it beautifully fits together. His eternal purpose in what he wanted to accomplish and he has accomplished it. All right, let's look at the two Adams first of all. And let's go back to Genesis 2. We're going we're to cover the whole Bible here this morning. We're going from Revelation to Genesis and then back. And the first Adam. Genesis 2, 7. Uh, we're told in chapter 1 that Man was created on the sixth day. Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And we get a little more detail in Genesis 2, verse 7. It says, Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being or a living soul. This is the, the first uh, of God's creation that says he was formed. Okay, the others is just like he spoke them into existence. But here, 
man, Adam, is formed from the dust of the ground. The same elements, compounds as all the rest of creation, we are of this earth. We are earthly, okay? We are made of dust, all right? The only thing different in the fact, different in man from the other creatures is the fact that God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, all right? And as part of this, I see the fact that he breathed into us this part of this image of God. We have this spiritual side which we can think, reason, understand God, all right? We have a soul. But this is part of what God was doing with man that was totally different from the rest of creation, rest, from the rest of, you know, the cows and the dogs and the sheep. Different. We were made in the image of God, and they were not. So this is the, the creation of the first Adam. Now let's go over to 1 Corinthians 15 and look at the last Adam. And often we don't think about the last Adam, and maybe you haven't studied about him. Here in this chapter, Paul is addressing the uh, resurrection. And he's talking about, in this particular part, uh, the questions about, well, you know, how, how's this going to happen? You know, how's this body going to come back out of the ground? You know, it. It's disintegrated down there. What's going to happen? And Paul is making his argument about all of this, about natural bodies and spiritual bodies and so forth. But in the middle of this, he talks about the last Adam. Okay? The last Adam. We just saw there in Genesis about the first Adam. is the first man God formed from the dust of the ground. Let's read here. 1 Corinthians 15.45 So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. We just saw that. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. Then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth, earthy. The second man is from heaven. Okay? So the last Adam, as you can probably surmise, is Christ Jesus, okay? He is the last Adam. Why is he called the last one? I mean, there were many, many more people born and men born after Jesus. Well, he's called the last Adam because he is unique, all right? He is unique and the uh, last one of his kind, if you will. He is the end of all things for God. Jesus actually completes what Adam and all the others could not do in that he rendered perfect obedience to God. He was, as we just sang in that one song, Son of God, Son of Man. Okay? He was God in the flesh. God being a man. Totally unique. There's no other man like him. That's why he's called the last one. And he also, you know, he says he's the Alpha and the Omega. He becomes the end of all things. 
in him all things are summed up and will be summed up when it's all over. All things were made for him and by him. And he stands to inherit everything. He is the last Adam. Notice some contrast here. The first Adam was created by God. He was from the earth. He was natural, a natural man, and he became a living soul. The last Adam was begotten of God. Right? He was conceived in the womb of Mary by the Holy Spirit and the power of God. That was different. No other man ever became man that way. No one. He was Emmanuel, God with us. We had a lesson on that not too long ago. He was from heaven, God from heaven. Adam was not. Adam was formed of the dust of the ground, from the earth. Okay? As it says here, This Adam, the last Adam, was the spiritual Adam. Now that isn't to say that the first Adam didn't have spiritual aspects, but he was primarily of the ground. He was natural. And it says here that he was earthy or earthly, and the second Adam was spiritual and became a life-giving spirit. He was one who would give life. The first Adam ended up dying, right? Because of sin. But the second, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Let's read that. Let's read that again. So also it is written, the first man Adam became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. So the The first Adam was made first, right? And was worked out through the human race. And then, finally, in the last age, comes the last Adam, the spiritual Adam, the life-giving spirit. The first man is from the earth, earthy, or made of dust. The second man, the last Adam, is from heaven, God being a man. He's the last Adam. Okay. Now let's look at the wives. It's interesting that God prepares wives for both Adams. And this is, uh, I think, a doctrine that the church doesn't teach enough in regard to Christ and the church. Because it's a very strong uh, doctrine in Scripture and it teaches great lessons. Uh, And it helps us to understand our own marriages and our own uh, situations with husbands and wives. So let's go back now to Genesis 2. And we're going to start to see some more parallels and contrasts here. Wife of the first Adam, Genesis 2.18. The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. All right? Adam was made by himself to start with. Okay? He was just one man, all by himself there, in the garden, 
with the animals and so forth. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them and whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and every beast of the field, but for Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him. Uh, I always use this section of scripture in premarital counseling because it, it shows the need for a companion. And the picture here is that as Adam is looking at all the animals passing by him and seeing that there is a male and a female in all of them, and he's naming, giving them names, then he realizes that the norm that God made is for there to be a male and a female, that there is companionship. But we see there at the end of that verse, there was no companion to be found among all those animals for Adam. Not there. And he's realizing he's alone. So what does God do? You know, God is, God is the one that said this. God is the one that established all this. This is not man's uh, thinking. He didn't think up marriage. But he understands what's going on here. He's alone. So 21, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. So it's interesting here that he doesn't just simply form the woman out of the dust of the ground, just like he did Adam. That he actually takes Adam's rib and uses that as the foundation for making the woman. She was actually a part of him when God did that. She was, as he's, he's going to later say, She's called woman because she came out of me. She is part of me. That's the the closeness here of the relationship that should be between a husband and a wife. You're part and parcel, one flesh, the one flesh relationship. And it truly was true with Adam and Eve. She was a part of his flesh. God took the rib and made the woman. 22, the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Truly, literally true. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So this is, this is the creation of marriage. This is the creation of the home. This is the creation of companionship, the suitable companionship. Uh, one writer points out, the glory of man is that the woman was made for him. But the glory of the woman is that the man was incomplete without her. And that's true. He made... The two to become one. A great need there in so many ways, which we don't have time to explore right now. 
All right, let's just reflect on Eve, the woman that was made. She was a suitable, compatible helper for him. All right, that's why she was made. Uh, to be his companion, to work together, to live life together, to accomplish what they needed to accomplish together. Okay? She came about because of a deep sleep upon Adam. Okay? You know, some people like to say God was the first surgeon and performed the first surgery. Uh, probably true in his own way. That's what he did. He extracted the rib. God used the rib or the side, something taken from the side of Ab- Adam, to make the woman, the rib. She was the only woman for Adam, right? There weren't any others around. She was exclusively his. She was made for him, all right? And they were, they were the only two. So she was his and he was hers. And when created, she was without sin. She was perfect. Guys, she was perfect. Okay. So, you know, there's the picture there of Adam, the first Adam, and his wife. Now, let's take a look at the last Adam. Let's go to John 3. We've already got that glimpse there in Revelation of the bride, the wife of the Lamb. John 3.25. Therefore, there arose a discussion on the part of John's disciples, this is John the Baptist, with, a Jew, with the Jews about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, that means Jesus, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and are coming to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, and that would be John the Baptist, he's calling himself the friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase but I must decrease. So John understood this concept of the bride and the bridegroom here, that Jesus was the bridegroom, and there was a bride for him, okay? A bride who was to be coming later. She wasn't there yet. Now let's run to 2 Corinthians 11. Paul understands this imagery as well, and it's actually more than imagery, because we understand the first pair were earthly, and they had an earthly relationship as husband and wife, and as we saw, the last Adam is a life-giving spirit, and the spiritual is last, and so we would expect a spiritual relationship between the last Adam and his wife. 2 Corinthians 11.1 I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness, but indeed you are bearing with me. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. 
For I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. So this was Paul thinking in his picture when he came to Corinth and brought these people to Christ Jesus and baptized them, that he was betrothing them to Christ. That they're, he's using marital words here. It's covenantal words, betrothing. And then he says, but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. So, so Paul understood that, that there was a betrothing here. Not a marriage yet, but a betrothing to Christ of this church, of these Christians. How does this work? How does the bride of Christ come into existence? We've seen references to her and affirmations that there is to be a bride, that there was a bride. Let's look in John 19. As we said, the first relationship between Adam and Eve, earthly, physical. You know, there's a spiritual aspect, but made of the earth, or made of dust. But the last Adam, life-giving spirit, spiritual, we expect the bride to be a spiritual entity. John 19.31. This is the crucifixion. Then the Jews, because it was a day of preparation, so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other who was crucified with him. But coming to Jesus, when they saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. One of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth so that you also may believe. So here's a reference to the death of Jesus on the cross, uh, and it is, again, his death that is significant because he was offered as the Lamb of God, the propitiation for our sins. The blood and the water confirmed his death, but what happened inside his body, and you, those who know the medical terms and the medical situation can better explain it than I can, but it proved his death, that he was dead, and the water and the blood came out. So let's look at this contrast and then we're going to wrap it up in Romans 6. And I didn't realize that our scripture reading this morning was also from Romans 6 by Brother Bob. Adam's wife, God worked, caused a deep sleep to fall on him, took the rib from his side and made the woman. The last Adam on the cross was dead, a deep sleep. He died. The blood and water came out 
of his side from which the bride is made. Let's go to Romans 6.3. So how does the bride of Christ come into existence? How does it happen? How are you betrothed to Christ? Romans 6.3, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. So here is how the wife of the Christ comes into existence through what happened at his side. The water of baptism, and that is that where we are baptized into his death, that would be the blood that cleanses us from our sins. And it is God who is at work doing this because we understand, as we read other scriptures, we are born again of water in the Spirit, right? And we receive the gift of the Spirit when this happens. So this is God working all of this to bring about the Lamb's wife. The wife of the Lamb of God. The ecclesia. The saved. We notice that the bride of Christ is only for Him. And that's something, again, for us to remember as those who are betrothed to Christ. We belong to no one else. You know, even though we might be in other organizations and so forth and work for companies, we are betrothed to Christ Jesus and to him is our allegiance first of all, above all others. And this is why we cannot do and participate in some of the things that other groups do. Because we belong to Christ. And we anticipate this marriage feast when he comes back. There is only one church. When Eve was made, there was only one woman for Adam, right? There was only one woman. There is only one church. We read that all through Scripture, New Testament. There is only one body. There is only one. There are many groups out there claiming to be the church. Are they betrothed to Christ in this way? And are they listening to his voice? See, the, we can go into great depth as we look at this comparison here. And by the cleansing blood of her bridegroom, she is perfect, having been forgiven all sin, right? Just as when Eve was created, she was perfect without sin. So, when a person is betrothed to Christ and received this cleansing, cleansing blood and we die with him and are raised out of the water, we become a new creation. We are cleansed and we are free of all sin. And we become then compatible with him. Our hearts and minds are focused and should be focused in the same direction as his. To be concerned about spiritual things, 
about doing his will, about serving others, about loving God and about loving others. You know, that's why we come to Christ, isn't it? And so we serve with him as we are betrothed to him. Compatible, suitable helpers as the bride of Christ. The bride anticipates the wedding and the wedding feast when the bridegroom returns. And we have parables about that. We didn't have time to get into all that, but I don't know what that will all be like, you know. But that's the picture here. But again, it's a spiritual arrangement, okay? The spiritual arrangement that we believe in him and we serve him and we accept him as our Lord and our head and as our our husband. Paul talks about that in Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And we could go a long way with this lesson. When I, I pray you take the scriptures home and read them over and study them over and let God use them to open up the truths here and the beauty, the beauty and understand this was his plan all along. Yeah, the earthly man, Adam, came first and yeah, that's what we are, made of the dust. But there is anticipation, you know, through the last Adam and our being betrothed to Christ. We will receive this spiritual body and we will have this marriage feast and this reunion with our with our our husband, our bridegroom, in the future. And what a feast that will be. We close the lesson then. These words have touched your heart. Uh, maybe you want to respond in some way. Maybe, maybe you need prayer to, to better understand your relationship with, with the Lord Jesus and how you are to be working with him in all ways, and you're, you're his and, and no one else's. And he's to be the first in your life. Uh, we'd be happy to pray with you. Maybe uh, you're not understanding that or not doing the right thing. If you uh, want to respond, as we read there from Romans 6, I didn't finish that reading. You can finish reading it in, in regard to baptism, to become part of the Lamb's wife, to be betrothed to him, and to serve him. We can assist you with that. Maybe you just like to talk more, have, have more study on that. We're, we're available, myself, Mike and Mike, Don, Rick. Uh, if you want to respond this morning, please come while Brother Don leads us.